Welcome to episode number 181 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about challenges with educational woodshop dust collection systems. We're doing that with Greg Slavin, president of Clean Air Company, Inc., based at Woodbridge, New Jersey. Greg, welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Thanks, Chris. Happy to be here. Really excited to have Greg on and equally excited to talk about this topic. This is something that we brought up way back in episode four of the podcast with Jeremy Slonwhite. So over three and a half years ago, close to 175 weekly episodes ago, I guess, looking at, in that case, we're talking about high school dust collection systems. And that's what we're kind of talking about today. We'll probably talk about college and I don't know, government facilities and trades and, and different places that would have a wood shop and then have a dust collection system attached to that. In episode four, we really covered this, this Nova Scotia dust collector program with Jeremy. And a number of the challenges that came up when looking at these type of sites, you can imagine they're not you know big industrial sites. You can imagine they have high interaction with public interfacing, mostly students, but teachers and you know the people that run the wood shops and that sort of stuff as well. And some interesting challenges and also some interesting safety concerns come up in these type of facilities. So Greg and, and Clean Air Company is a recent member of Dust Safety Professionals. We were looking at the work they were doing and in some of their LinkedIn posts saw these really nice new installations at high schools. And these these dust collector installations were well protected, you know, had the correct safety systems in terms of combustible dust in place. When I was looking, I was just thinking back to the, the photos we were talking about back in episode four and the type of systems and just really reach out to Greg and say, hey, how's this going today? Are we in a different spot than we were four years ago? And he had a lot of interesting things to, to talk about. Um, in terms of some of the successes, some of the challenges that we still see today. So that's really spawned the the idea of this podcast interview. We're going to talk a bit about Greg's background. We're going to talk about his experience with working with high schools and educational facilities, some of the differences between newer systems that are being installed and older systems at older and aging facilities, and some of the common challenges that he sees working at these sites to improve their system and overall combustible dust safety. So Greg, I think a great place to kind of jump in, just could you share some of your background and what your current role is in the industry today? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so I'm president of Clean Air Company. The company was established back in 1976 by my father, Bob Slavin. I came on board in 1992, and we were primarily doing a lot of uh, smaller systems, ambient air cleaning systems, exhaust emission systems, protecting employees from diesel exhaust. And then we got into some of the, uh, moved the company in the direction of some industrial ventilation. Part of what we did with a lot of our employees at that point is we sent them through an ACGIH uh, training program. Basically, what that is, is it uh, it helps everybody understand calculating static pressures, velocity, conveying velocities, capture velocities, duct sizing, fan sizing, all that real important stuff um, so that the system's operational. We also became a member of NFPA simply because there's so many standards and references and interpretations of standards uh, as they relate to codes. And so um, it's been a great resource for getting clarification. Um, so that's where we're at today. We do everything from A to Z, uh, ammonia to zinc, uh, wood dust collection systems, welding fume collection systems, uh, chemicals, flowers, powders, mixings and blendings, uh, all types of different applications. and. Um, you're correct. We have done some uh, some wood dust collection systems, and uh, we use Boss products for for that for um, you no know, return valves and 
abort gates and explosion vent panels. And uh, they're, they're also a wonderful resource for information. Yeah, and we appreciate the work that you do. I did want to get that acronym from you. Was it AICGH? Yeah, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists. Okay. They have a, a, a book that's published, Industrial Ventilation. It's a recommended guide and practice for industrial ventilation. It's kind of the Bible of our industry for making sure that um, you have the right um, conveying velocities as it relates to wood dust. So 4,000 feet per minute, unless you're getting into some heavy like grinding applications where we have some larger chunks, then we want to make sure that we're up in those 4,500 feet per minute conveying velocities. And that's all really important so that we don't have uh, material laying out in the ductwork. Yeah, and I can't stress that enough. And we we showed a video in the Dust Safety Academy of a, a facility overseas had coal dust that had had the facilities being torn down, torn down. So it's not a surprise that coal dust sitting in the ducts that were above. But the 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 excavator just just knocking stuff down basically knocked that down, and ignited, um, and you could see the the explosion propagate directly through that venting through all the coal dust. Uh, fortunately, it's a very open, wide facility. Other than being quite spectacular to see. I don't believe any was injured, but you don't get a chance to see that that type of video of, of what happens if there is dust in the ducting yeah. when a deflagration is unmitigated, unisolated, and it, it, it can and, and will be quite devastating. A lot of the facilities where we lose entire building, you don't get to see the video of the explosion propagating through the ductwork, but that's how it, how it gets from point A to point B. Correct. Uh, we do do some interviews with Boss. DustSafetyScience.com slash 114 is an interview with Nick Slench, uh, with Nick on alternatives to abort gates. And we had Jim Peters on talking about hammer mills in the podcast episode before that, episode 113. So we talked about some of the industries that you've worked with, some of the work that you've done. It's really great to see that you're taking your team early in the development of the company, moving more towards, towards the industrial side, moving more towards the NFPA requirements. Um, let's introduce this kind of, you know, educational facility, high school dust collection systems. What sort of experience do you have working with these type of sites? Yeah, we've done some on the higher education. We've done some schools, uh, Villanova University, Rowan University. Most of these are not really uh, what I would classify as industrial applications. They're not production. They're not running eight hours a day. They're making the screen sets for their plays and for their art departments and for things that are you know, around campus that they need fabrication, maybe it's cabinetry or, or whatever. So, but it doesn't mean that uh, anything really changes uh, with regards to the design. It, it just means that maybe you can change the size of your collector a little bit in terms of air cloth ratios. But other than that, everything's the same. You still need to make sure that you have your uh, no return valves, um, your explosion relief panels, if you're not returning it into the building, we've done, I guess what you probably saw some pictures would be uh, Overbrook High School. And with the high schools, we're seeing a lot of older systems, systems that were probably fabricated or, or installed probably in the 70s. And I think what we're recognizing is that a lot of insurance companies are probably going back and doing risk evaluations and making recommendations that this isn't really up to current NFPA standards. Uh, what we see a lot of is in these high schools when we get phone calls is, you know, the system isn't working properly. And over a period of 30 years, uh, you know, you have different teachers. They change the layout. They move a, uh, a table from point A to point B. They add a chop saw. They get rid of one machine, but they don't cap off the ductwork. 
And so what happens over a period of time is those duct systems become plugged with material is what we've seen. The collectors, they don't have the no return valves. They don't have explosion vents. Uh, they're kind of rusted. So you have to question the integrity with the, I guess the, the P red value is of the, uh, the collector. Would it be able to withstand an explosion if, if one occurred? So we get a lot into, in, into that. And then working with engineering firms, there's so much cross-referencing from what I see with some of the smaller engineering firms, not a full grasp of which uh, NFPA standard really to follow. Is it 654? Is it 664? Uh, and, and it's just a huge maze just to kind of navigate um, through a lot of that stuff. Yeah, and it can be hard. It can be hard if you're doing it every day, like you are, or like you know that we're talking about on the, the podcast. It would be exceptionally hard if you're only doing it a couple times a year. Yeah, to try to figure out what you should be doing, and also very easy to pick up the wrong standard, no data standard, and just say, "Oh, that's it. It says the answer right here." Um, in in page eighteen of of hundred pages, uh, not looking at the appendices materials, and just kind of go with it. So you mentioned a couple of things that are really interesting here. I want to sort of slice off. So we got new systems versus old systems. You kind of had an interesting discussion here about why people bring you in. The system is just not working well. And they say, well, we need somebody to, to look at combustible or not combustible, that's where just figure out why the system is not working. And then you come in or an engineering firm comes in and, and is building, say, the facility and doesn't have the expertise on the collection side. I want, to, I want to go to this new versus old in a second, but I want to touch on this point of people bringing you in. Because I can imagine most points, it's really to help them with the airflow design and dust collection aspects. How aware are they are the hazards of combustible dust when you come in? Is it just sort of you talk to them about it and it's blank stairs? Or are they already pretty aware at this stage? Or how's that kind of conversation go? Uh, I think they're aware that there is a fire hazard. I don't think many are aware that there's an explosion hazard. So a lot of this stuff is expensive. And you know, the battle really is the saying, look, you can't really take any shortcuts on this because one shortcut impacts another. For example, I see some engineers, they'll want to go and keep all of their ducts coming out of the building below 10 inches. So that way they don't have to put any sprinkler heads into the duct system. And then they'll manifold it into the, into the collector. But then you get into an issue is how well balanced is that? Some of them, they're not aware that they need to we like to put secondary safety after filters into the into the classroom if you're bringing the air back in. So after the collector, you have a clean air. But um, how how efficient is it? What's the uh, if you're using a cyclone? Not not nearly as efficient as if you're using say maybe a MERV 12 or a 14 filter. So we usually get the primary dust out, go through the um, the abort gate, and then on the inside of the building, we'll do a secondary after filter so that we're getting any of that really fines generated from maybe sanding applications. And that's you know good for the respiratory side. It's probably primarily good for the respiratory side. It's also good for keeping the dust out of the, the building, I suppose. But if that's an issue, then you have sort of bigger problems at the end of the day that maybe that's not meant to solve. I, I don't know if that, if that makes sense as a breakdown. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it has everything to do with indoor air quality, but also to eliminate the accumulation of fine powders and dusts or sawdust from accumulating over a period of the life of the dust collection system, 30, 40 years. Yeah, I guess that makes sense too. If you look at it, you think that's not very much material, but over 30 years, it doesn't take a lot of material per cycle to, uh, to build up. 
True. So you, you kind of talk about older systems and newer systems where you might see older ones at at high schools and maybe newer systems being put into, you know, universities or, or brand new facilities, that sort of thing. What we had dealt with in the Nova Scotia Dust Collector Program was almost exclusively old facilities. Um, and, and Jeremy talked a lot about the challenges that he saw at those type of facilities. Are you seeing differences between the new kind of builds they're doing and the um, older facilities or, or what kind of challenges arise in one that you may not see in the other? Well, on the new builds, there, there's a lot more hands in the pot. So I, I assume, when you say a new build, do you mean they, they don't have a, uh, a wood shop yet, but they're putting a new one in? Yeah, not like a, not a 20-year dust collector that's been already installed in a certain way. Yeah, so those there, there's a lot more hands in the pot because they'll usually have an architectural firm. The architectural firm will subcontract out mechanical engineering firm and then the mechanical engineering firm, then you have a general contractor, a mechanical contractor, and then there's us. So there's there's a lot more hands in the pot and a lot more uh, than on the school side, the owner side, you know, there, there's the sticker shock of, you know, well, the dust collector we used to have was, was $50,000. Now we're at $150,000. Because you have to put in sprinkler systems, you have to put in all this additional stuff. And so there's a lot more design engineering. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, some of the engineering firms aren't really up to snuff with uh, with all the standards. You know, for, for example, I had one engineering firm and from my perspective, we're in sales. And so we don't want to step on anybody's toes. And when you have an engineer um, that tells you, you know, we're designing according to 654 and you're trying to explain, well, yes, 654 is part of the design, but 664 takes precedence over 654. And you can't really get into an argument with them. All you can really do is, you know, send them the code and, and hope they, you know, they read through it and, and they take some of your recommendations. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. That's just the way it goes. And, and then on the completion side, you have the uh, code officials and code officials aren't really all up to date either. So they don't necessarily know if this is a code compliance system or not. Uh, we've, we've had some good ones and we've had some bad ones. Yeah, we've more and more been getting that type of request through Dust Safety Professionals for a, a building code official that that has a, you know, has a very well-based general knowledge set and knows that there's these type of hazards that exist and even knows that certain things need to be checked off, say for international fire code compliance or NFPA compliance, but don't really have that specialty expertise. Um, and generally they kind of reach out and say, you know, we can't, I, I can't recommend anybody, but can you send me some people to actually know what they're talking about in this local area so that we can uh, at least try to figure out the steps forward. I guess what you're highlighting there is, is a real issue that isn't easily addressed because they're generally not allowed to say, oh, you should use this company in some regions, maybe in some other regions they are. But on the flip side, if you can't say that, then how do you figure out how to get the experts in there? And that's one of the challenges we're trying to address with the state professionals for getting them involved at the, the point of use, like at the point of actually getting the work installed, make sure it's right and correct, rather than coming in afterwards and going, hey, did we, did we do this right? And finding out that everything was vents are pointing the wrong direction and stuff's missing and that sort of thing. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly it. And that's why it's so important what you're doing is you're bringing so many different industries together and, and bringing subjects that really need to be discussed. And look, I don't claim to know everything, but I know where to find the correct answers. So 
It's one of the reasons we joined your organization for topics of discussion like this. Um, it's one of the reasons we joined NFPA when we run into issues like this. And, and to address, address it on the installation side, we've gone so far as, you know, I'll, I'll go into the code official's office and I'll print out a copy of 664 and I'll highlight the areas of concern and I'll drop it off, hoping that they'll read it. So when they go do an inspection that they'll recognize that, oh, wait a second, we're, we're missing uh, an abort gate here. How are we going to prevent an explosion? We have an explosion relief panel, but how do we prevent it from coming into the building without an abort gate? And, and I've seen that get missed as well. Yeah, that's one of the questions I was going to talk about. Was, that was really the main focus of this interview with Jeremy, again, three and a half years ago, was like, what are the common challenges that came up with the dust collector, Nova Scotia dust collector safety program? And and he kind of kicked it off with the, the the first one that started the whole thing, which was an explosion vent panel pointed at a picnic table. And, and then went through the whole gamut, you know, collectors indoors with vent panels that are just, you know, not pointing any particular direction potentially unsafe directions, no fencing around dust collectors to stop people from being close to it. You know, no information, like even training, that sort of stuff, broken bags that were, you know, pushing dust into the, into the school. And the reason I highlight this, and I want to ask you what common challenges are you that you're seeing, but we, we see some in the order of three to five high school dust collector fires a year in our incident reporting. We have yet since we've been reporting since 2017 kind of timeframe, seen a, an explosion. But if you combine the fact that we know there's fires, we know there's material there, we know it's used not not every day or not continuously running 24-7, but there is the chance for it to be in use and for an explosion to happen. We kind of overlap that if you think of the Venn diagram of the cases where we know there's 5% or some small percentage of facilities that have dust, say, in overhead false ceilings. It's, it's really just a matter of time. And it kind of keeps me up at night every year when I look at our incident report thinking, Geez, I hope you know. I hope I don't see this case where we have an unmitigated, unisolated explosion from one of these fires that propagates back into a classroom, yeah, into overhead areas that have dust there. I mean, it's just it's it's not good to think about, but it keeps us up at night again a bit. And then when I think, well, how many dust collectors are there in high schools in in Canada, United States? And the the answer is tens of thousands. So how do we start to tackle that? And the the best thing I can do is figure out, okay, let's talk about it, which is why we try to get folks on the podcast to try to figure some of these out. So to cycle all the way back is what kind of challenges are you seeing with these systems? I mean, you, you mentioned the absence of no return valves or isolation systems, the absence of fire protection, uh, like sprinklers and other systems like that. Any other kind of common deficiencies that you see quite a bit sort of every time you go? I think in the beginning, some of the challenges that we have with the installation is is spacing, right? You have to have the correct spacing for that no return valve to close. And sometimes they're installed too close. And the same thing with the abort gate. And then moving on from there is making sure that you have a proper maintenance system set up or established. Um, because as filters load up and plug up, um, you're, you're increasing the, the resistance against the fan. Your, your air volume slows down. Therefore, your conveying velocities slow down. And and it's a domino effect. And now you can get the buildup of material in your ductwork. So monitoring, proper monitoring of, um, you know, differential pressure uh, gauges on your collector, um, making sure that, you know, your the differential pressure on when we install, when we bring the air back in on your, your secondary safety after filter, that will tell you if maybe one of your filters has ruptured. 
if, if you're uh, accumulating a lot of dust on the secondary safety after filter, and then all of a sudden you see a big drop in your differential pressure on your primary collector. So that would tell you that, you know, there's an issue. You're probably bringing dust back into the facility, um, making sure when you take out the filters and you're looking at them that, you know, all the filters are, they, they look the same. You don't have one filter that's absolutely plugged and another filter that that is not that would tell you that maybe the cleaning process isn't working properly so maintenance is really key to making sure that um, you avoid a headlong problem coming down the road some of the other things uh, i would say that's probably it i mean you know making sure that even when they change uh, the duct system that you know you can't just go in and modify a duct system and say oh we're going to get another table saw we're going to put a five inch port here and we should be good you might not have the, enough airflow to do that. Um, so that needs to be looked at as well as, as you know, schools change their designs. And we had Diane Cave from um, Element 6 on the podcast way back in episode 18. So again, three years ago, talking about the top five mistakes companies make in their dust collection system design. And you could overlay those exactly with the top five mistakes probably that, you know, high schools make as well. Because some of those were exactly those, you know, adding new equipment without thinking about the airflow requirements dead ending or dead, you know, removing um, systems and, and not tidying that up so the airflow is there, um, hood design, all those sort of things. Basically, if your system's not actually collecting the dust, it's probably not really designed that well and you get folks like Greg and, and others in to actually help you get that, uh, doing, a, doing a better job at the end of the day. Yeah. And blast gates, that's another big one. I mean, I think all blast gates, they should be locked in place. A lot of these these kids will go in and well, I need more suction. I see some dust here and we'll close a couple of the other gates and get, and that's just not the way it works. So all the blast gates, if you're doing, you know, blast gates to help us uh, balance the system. So you have the right airflows, they should really be locked in place. We usually drill a hole through them and then put a lock in place. Yeah, that's a good idea. And we, we come across that one quite a bit too. It's just um, unbalanced systems from just randomly not not randomly. There's a reason they wanted suction somewhere, so they they did it. But at the end of the day, it does take into consideration the entire system. Okay, so we talked through a number of different challenges in terms of training, education, you know, missing the proper equipment, monitoring for differential pressures, monitoring for dust buildup. Some of those kind of common challenges. Anything else on this topic? Anything you think we could do to actually improve the type of education? Like I'm almost thinking even. At Dust Safety Academy, we should try to create something that's geared towards woodshop managers. I don't know what the right word is, but people that are running these sort of woodshops just include some of these high-level items. It could even be, you know, a virtual kind of thing where where they they learn the importance of using the blast gates in an effective manner and, and learn who to talk to in terms of the the design system and that. Anything you've seen on your end, some really low hanging fruit that we could do in improve safety at these type of facilities or these type of educational places? Yeah, I, I really believe uh, it, it's the education of it. So what we do is uh, in, in New Jersey, anyhow, New York, we're still working on, but it's an accredited one hour course for topics of discussion. So we have some on dust collectors. We are going to develop one specifically for, for wood dust. It's in the makings now. And we'll go into an engineering firm and uh, we'll you know give them an example. We'll show them some pictures of some ductwork that gets that gets plugged, some design issues. Uh, you, you can always see when an HVAC contractor is put in a, a dust collection system because they design it for 
HVAC. You know, we had one one school where they turned on their dust collector and all the ductwork was was collapsed. They were using 28 gauge ductwork. So my point is we're going in, we're saying, look, here's your classification of ductwork. These these are the key points out of 664 that you have to follow. Here's some other key points out of 654 that are that are critical. We'll put that into a PowerPoint. We'll go in, we'll sit down with them. We'll, we'll do a, a lunch and learn. We'll buy them lunch. We'll sit there for an hour and we'll go over that and, and then just offer them the, a, a copy of the presentation and the key topics of discussion for, you know, what you need to include. If you're just venting the air out of the building and if you're going to bring the air back in, these are the additional things that you're going to need. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I actually have a couple of folks um, in New Jersey that come to the top of mind that might be good to send that um, those training materials to uh, that, that could be able to help. So we'll talk about that offline. Sure. Anything else on this topic? Anything you want to leave the audience with in terms of high school dust collection systems or university or educational facilities that you think would be important for the audience to know? And, and I kind of want to cover this a little bit. So what I want to say is there's folks here that will be listening to this podcast that are, that are working in these institutions, but there will be many that are working with these type of institutions. So you have your consultants, you have um, your equipment OEMs. And I'm just trying to think of how can we best spread the word to take a second look and say, you know, are these systems installed correctly? Are they safe? Um, and hopefully, and fingers crossed, I don't have this year where we have to report on a, a high school fatality because of uh, a dust explosion. Anything you think we should do there to close off on the podcast? I just think if you're a school and, you, and you're looking for a dust collection system, obviously, the, the most important thing is you, you get the right engineering firm. That's um, and and because there's a liability there. And so they're always going to have an engineering firm and, and, and they're usually do their due diligence uh, and they'll write the specs. They'll go out for bid and people reviewing the specs will, will make comments. So uh, with, with the schools, I think there is a safety feature already built into the process because of in New Jersey, anyhow, it is, it does have to go out for public bid because they're using public funds. There usually is a mechanical engineer involved and if the specs aren't up to code, um, there's companies like us that will point out issues. There's uh, code officials that may point out issues. Um, so I, I think there's a good safety factor already built into the process. I think it's just the older systems that people really need to look at and, and evaluate. Uh, you know, are, are we up to are we up to code, or do we need to put some money into this program? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And what we saw with that Nova Scotia dust collector program was that it, it did take sort of a concentrated effort, especially in a province where there was mostly older schools and mostly older systems of actually going out and evaluating all the systems together. And they've done that in New Brunswick now as well, which is the province adjacent to, to Nova Scotia in Canada on the East Coast. It'll be interesting to see how that develops. We've actually had a couple of people, a couple folks from countries overseas say the same thing and say, hey, can you give me some more information on how that was was run we'd like to run this locally here so be interesting to see if that continues to develop um is and, and as it does certainly clean air company will be be someone that hope are involved with the assessment of those type of systems and and you know moving forward on safety because of the great work that you're doing so that's it for this episode i do want to say thank you to greg for coming on thank you for the work that he's doing with clean air company and i look forward to getting back on the podcast in the future thank you chris happy to be on great to uh good work that you're doing and bringing everything together i think it's uh it's a, it's a really good uh, good thing that you're bringing everybody together on these different industries and topics that just aren't being discussed enough. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll have you back on the podcast again soon. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. So you may listen to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Greg Slavin. 
president at Clean Air Company based at Woodbridge, New Jersey. We've been talking about this topic of challenges with educational woodshop dust collection systems. We talked a bit about Greg's background, um, his role in the company, and how the company's kind of changed over the years from him starting to get involved back in 1992 and and moving on and, and kind of growing that company more into industrial focus. And uh, recently, over the last number of years, into some of this area, it's not a, probably a huge portion of what they're doing, but being involved with some of these educational facilities as well. We talked about a number of challenges here. We talked about how some facilities might be designing and installing new systems. Some facilities, like uh, maybe high schools, older high schools, have these older type of systems. And they, they both introduce their, their own interesting kind of approaches, right? So for the new systems, you have a lot more folks that are involved, architecture, engineering firms, um, engineers. So it really becomes a, a case of trying to manage that group of people and coming to a consensus on the path forward. And that can be challenging with the number of standards that are there, the number of different folks that are involved with that whole process. And then you have the building code officials that are going to come in and, and you know, certify the system or sign off, on the at least on the building code side. So you have your sort of unique challenges there. Then on the existing systems, you know, you may have less folks involved, but there may also be less less knowledge here. Things have been kind of building up for a long time. So you may have modifications to the system. You may have new equipment put on, equipment taken off. may just not really be working that well. Um, maintenance and that sort of stuff may have not been completed. And you may have ex- existing safety systems that weren't installed correctly. And we saw that quite a bit in episode four of the podcast with the Nova Scotia Dust Collector Safety Program, where there were safety systems a lot of time that had been installed incorrectly or dust collectors were indoors, unprotected, um, just some some scenarios that you know are higher risk that uh, you may not see, you may not kind of get away with, I guess, in a new build facility. We talked about a number of additional challenges, things like training, maintenance, inspection protocols, what things should you be looking at, differential pressures, um, any type of buildup in your ducting system, making sure the clean air return systems, if they're used, are working correctly for occupational ventilation and also working correctly for keeping material out of the building, keeping fuel out of the building. And we talked about some potential solutions moving forward. So first one is just discussing the challenge. That's, again, the purpose of this podcast. We'll probably try to bring this back every couple of years because we, we do see these fires happen at high schools. Greg mentioned there is sort of a built-in safety factor in terms of the tender system. There's also a built-in safety factor in terms of these aren't running 24-7. You know, they're not full of material all the time, but that's good in a sense of frequency. So that means that you're going to have less frequent high loss incidents. But we've actually seen the, the opposite effect in terms of some industries where you don't have a lot of material being moved, where when something does happen, it can be quite severe because it, you know, the training's not there, the understanding's not there, the the sense of vulnerability is not there because they're not being used that much. So it is a good safety valve kind of built in that the systems aren't used a lot, but shouldn't be lean on as a crutch not to actually install them correctly. We heard Greg say that where you, this isn't something where you kind of take it lightly and not do the right thing just because they're not used that much. You do need to really be thinking about fire safety. You do really need to think about explosion safety as well. So that is it for this podcast episode. We'll probably try to check back in at least every year on this topic of, of educational dust collection systems. Again, this includes high schools, universities, like government buildings, trades, um, penitentiaries. There's lots of places where you may find these dust collection systems that are installed on these kind of government buildings. We actually didn't get into it in the podcast interview, but Greg and I had a really interesting discussion about the fact that different groups would be looking at these than um, industrial applications. So in New Jersey, you'd have, I'm trying not to get this backwards, I think you'd have federal OSHA looking at the industrial systems, or you might have state OSHA looking at the high school dust collection systems. 
maybe vice versa, but I think that's the way it is. And in that case, then you have a whole different set of training, a whole different resource that those two groups can bring to those type of systems. So it, it is quite interesting to see combustible dust safety pulled into areas that are more adjacent to the public, areas that are less uh, involved in the industry and make sure that we're doing that in a safe manner. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. I appreciate everything you're doing in trees handling combustible dust, making them safer with the work that you're doing every day. Thank you.